Hey, you damn guys. This is Drew Campbell from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or as I like to call it, Hell on Earth. And you're listening to the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Good luck. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle Renee. Thanks so much, Drew Campbell, for being our first audio intro. Thank you. He did a really great job with that, and we'll probably hear more from him down the line. Send us your version to hellwaybookclub at gmail.com. We want to hear you and hear from you. Go check out mignolaverse.com. The crew over there are looking for writers. We have so much great analysis from our listener feedback. If you'd like to contribute more, go write an article for the gang at mignolaverse.com. There's actually a lot of listener book club yeah. member feedback that we get that I'm like, yeah, you could do a whole article out yes. of this. Just yeah. fill it out a little bit, you know, do a little bit more, whatever research, fill it out a little bit more. I think that some of the stuff that we get is so close to being an article. Yeah, right. Just kind of reformatted or whatever you have to do. I don't know what writers do to make it seem like an article, but just do that. And then, bam, you're on the yeah. website. Go to the website. You submit it. They'll probably put it on there. I mean, just, yeah. That's a good point. You know, I guess Mark Tweedo is already over at Multiversity Comics, but the comment that he left yesterday about Johan was really beautiful and Insightful, long and, yeah. and detailed and... I felt so bad that it was on a shitty sounding episode. I uh, felt bad for all the listener feedback uh, last week because I was like, man, really sorry about that, you guys. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, despite your best efforts, things just go awry. But hopefully we've sorted that out this week. Yes, or? we okay. have. And I was actually going to talk about that a little bit later, but I could just get to it now. <laughs> I was really bummed that that happened. And I didn't think we were going to have any listener feedback this week because I was like, no one's going to listen to the episode <laughs> and no one's going to comment. And then... Uh, <laughs> And we had a ton of listener feedback. People just knocked it out of the park with the listener feedback this week. Oh, so man. thank you so much for making it through that and listening to that episode. The raffle over at Mike Mignola's Art. So I talked about it a little bit last week, but I had an update on it. Thought that we had raised almost 3000 Well, it turns out that Craig McKnight was able to get his workplace to match some wow. donations. Oh, nice. And so the total ended up being... Three thousand nine hundred and sixty-five dollars. Wow! Yeah, nice. for the for the raffle. So thanks again to Craig McKnight for all his hard work. Thanks to everyone who donated to the prize list and everybody who donated. It was a really great job, and it was just nice to see the community come together for yeah, that. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's a really important cause. Also, uh, check out Mike Mignola's art Facebook page. That's where the raffle was on. That's one of my most favorite places on the internet to go. So give them a follow. And also give us a reviews if you've been enjoying the show. We don't charge anything for our show. We do all this for free. So if, if you can hop on over to our podcast page and leave us a review, five stars. And if you'd write a couple words about it, that would be great. And hey, Danielle, what is this show all about? Hey, guys, <laughs> you're going to you run read a book with your friends and talk about it and with your friends. And so what we do is we're going to we're talking about it. Reading Hellboy, reading Mike Mignola stuff, and we're going to read it, and then we talk about it, and then we tell you what you're going to read next, and then you're going to tell us all about it, and then back to you, John. <laughs> wait, what, wait, what was that? I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that, and we're going to move on to some listener feedback. 
And then you email us, and that's <laughs> listener feedback. There we hey, go. Hey, you damn guys. Hey, you damn guys. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kat, at Feline Fatal on Twitter. She said, I need the Hellboy Book Club logo as a patch. Just saying. That's and- <laughs> something that uh, people have been being like, oh, can we get buttons and patches and shirts? Like, Well, it's not our design. Who designed that? Mignola? Well, yeah, well, I mean, he designed the original thing. Yeah, but But if, you actually kind of designed this. I didn't. I this, didn't. Well, I it's didn't. A, it's kind of a take on I it. I literally yeah. took that design and altered it and then before I used it anywhere, I I asked him permission on fa- I sent him a message on Facebook and said, "Hey, is it cool if I did this?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's totally cool. Sounds great. Go, go for it." And but I, you know, I'm, we're not going to be making money off of that that just seems a little weird yeah to me, so well we'd have to ask permission probably and i also wanted to thank jan niklas i saw our name come up in a twitter thread asking what's your favorite comic related podcast and ross radke also gave us a shout out in that thread so thank you so much for that that's cool yeah tech Poddle de sequoia said hey you damn guys i just finished your episode on the universal machine Listening to y'all talk about Roger and what he meant to the other characters and, well, what he meant to us readers. It really got to me. I recently lost my sister last summer to cancer. Fuck cancer. And hearing y'all go on, I don't know, just helped. So thank you. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there's been a lot of that going around we lately. Actually, um, yeah, we just lost our friend to cancer as well Yeah, this, this week. So that's something that we've been dealing with and... You know, everyone comes together and you hold a you hold several wakes and you you get together. I mean, I you know, we just saw her and then the next day she passed away from cancer. So it's one of those things where we all we all need to come together and we all need to su- support one another and so I it's we're I'm so glad personally that we could provide some sort of comfort or respite for you because I know how hard that is when you're missing someone. And, yeah. and I think that we all have been there in some way or another. So that's that's that is very important and so yeah, keep keep uh, keep the messages of encouragement coming in because if we're helping you, you're helping us. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point. Thank you for saying that. You know, one of our listeners, Case, also passed away due to cancer, and yeah. and all the yeah. proceeds from that raffle that I mentioned earlier went to cancer and specifically brain cancer research. Yeah, research, so. which is also what what uh, what our friend Stacy unfortunately uh, passed away from yeah. as well. So. And Techpodo, he also sent me a song by Adam Warrock called R H O D, Right Hand of Doom. Do you know Adam Warrock, Aubrey? Uh, I don't. I did see the uh, that. Uh, I did see that, but I didn't actually click on it yet because I was yeah. going to work That's when I saw name? it. Yeah, Adam Warrock is a nerdcore rapper from America, and the song was really good. I checked it out online. There's actually a link. It says that you could download it for free, but when I clicked the link, it, huh. I couldn't find the download. I don't know if he changed his website recently. Wait, so did it's did so you it's say a nerdcore. Yeah, Can it's we a go song. Back it, so <laughs> okay. it's a it's a style of like rap music. There's also like okay. MC Front a lot. And, okay. Yeah, is this you're just <clears throat> rapping about video games and comics? Yes, and, and stuff? very obscure like references. Um, okay. This uh, this R H O D song by Adam Warrock. So it's he rapping, talks about then. he talks about all the Hellboy references. Yeah, it's, it's like a very specific genre. Like you're laser focused on like a yes. really specific weird yeah, little thing. Yeah, and okay. Adam Warrock, yeah. he's done <laughs> songs about the X Men and about all these different things. Like okay. I, like I kind of saw uh, some rapping. of his okay some of his song list, and they were all about very obscure and specific comic book That's things. That's fun. Sure. Yeah. Okay. 
So uh, that's a really cool song if you want to go check that out. So he enlisted with the military code. Name four letters. He joined a bureau and found some soulmates. With a weird thing, scope up in the night, y'all. The Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense is down to fight, y'all. The child of a witch and a demon prince. He pulled that sword from the stone. I haven't seen him since. Just some flowers in the path where he walked. They say that you can see the devil when he talks. The devil when he rides with the right hand. Some feedback on Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. When I posted the teaser image, Stonecutter Cam said, I've been looking for a trade paperback for a week. No luck so far. Curse my need to read something physical. <laughs> and I know the Lobster Johnson trades, those have been going out of print. Right. And Clayton Schofield said, a Lobster Johnson hardcover omnibus set sure would be nice. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people are asking for because the paperbacks are going out of print and right. unless you want them switch to digital which is what we've been doing we've just been all reading on the digital, reading digital. but but he he was saying he has a trouble reading that is what he's saying well he said curse my need to read something physical i guess so i, I don't never know. thought about that like some people just they you know can't really do digital or, or whatever or maybe he just likes having oh, he prefers the, it maybe prefers it's a it. preference i don't oh, I thought know it was like an eyesight thing or maybe i don't yeah, know i don't know I assume it's just like a preference thing preference, because yeah. um, I do know. like a good book. I do yeah. like a good book. I like reading them on the digital because there's like the convenience of it. But I mean, right. something like this is something I would definitely want in you my library wanna, uh, with the nice hardcover edition. Yeah, never underestimate the enjoyment of a nice, nice library. Yeah, nice, no nice shelves full of good books. <laughs> when I am um, when I do my reading, I like to read it the first time. Just in the physical, the physical format, com- especially since I have um fortunate enough to have the hardcovers. They're a little bit more oversized, especially the Hellboy ones. Like I highly recommend for the Wild Hunt. Well, read you're it, you're smart. About read it, it in whenever, the library edition. Whenever first. anyone's like, "Hey, John, what can I get you as a gift?" You know, it's that that time to be thinking about getting you a gift, and you're just like, "I want this hardcover book, <laughs> this specific <laughs> one. I want this very specific <laughs> this is the one that I need to like, fit okay, in my collection." But people want to get you something nice, and so you're, you know, I think that's 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 cool that you you have something that you're like, "This is what I, this is my thing, this is yeah. my specific thing is this really nice book," and I think you could do worse. Well, it was funny. Want a nice book. The other know? day, you were like looking for. You were scouring through some of my hardcovers, <laughs> looking for an image, specific and art, I, and yeah. you're a specific art image. And I and I asked you to describe it to me, and you gave me like the smallest description. And I pulled the book right out and turned to the exact page. <laughs> Ross Radke also said about the Lobster Johnson comics. Man, just looking at these covers again makes me realize how much important stuff is introduced or expanded in this first Lobster Johnson series. Pachi Kenway said, We need Lobster Johnson on the BPRD roster. (laughs) It would be great if Lobster Johnson has a legacy character set in the modern day. A great-grandson, maybe? Oh, yeah, so I never thought about that. Like Great nobody, granddaughter. Oh, that would be would even be better. Super yeah, cool. you know, nobody's picked up that mantle. You would think that somebody would pick it up, maybe in the mm. down the line. Yeah, Sounds that's great. never happened. We got a hey you damn guys from Matt Strackbean at Friends of Strackbean on Instagram. I really love the stuff that he's been doing on his Instagram. Man, yeah, it's, man, it, it's like several times a day. It's yeah, awesome. several times a day he's dropping some uh, Mignola BPRD Which references. He works so fast, how does he paint? like yeah. that i need to get i need to get into his dms and ask him uh his secret is gonna be i do it just all the time every right. day is yeah. what it's gonna be so i shouldn't even bother is just he paints all day it's incredible matt says like danielle i've often theorized that the lobster's glove contained a car cigarette lighter like device <laughs> but it could very well be some sort of harness vril 
That may explain his initial envy of Jim's suit in the Iron Prometheus. Mm. Just saying, there's always something supernatural about Lobster Johnson's stuff. Although I suppose one of his crew would be savvy enough to come up with something more practical than Vril. Interesting. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's pretty cool to think about where Just that blew my mind over here. Yeah. Jerry Turnbull said, "Always nice to hear praise for the mighty Dave Stewart." Dave Stewart. Vril, vril, vril. Now we can talk about arguably the most important thing in the Hellboy universe. <laughs> I did get excited when that was introduced. Yeah. Concept. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was pretty neat. Yeah. He also said, Shanshin is very much a follower of the right hand. The origin of the hand mark will be revealed much later. I wonder if the symbol of the people of the right hand was inspired by the white hand of Saruman. Yeah, because I, yeah. I, I, I was That's... thinking that when I saw it, but then I was like, nah, you can't. Uh, that's imme- just, that's immediately the first thing I thought of. Yeah, that definitely brought that to mind. I don't know if it is inspired by that or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was just something that you do it, and then later you're like, oh, yeah, the Sar- Saruman thing. Oh, well, keep it in there. You know what I mean? Like Because you, you can kind of, quote-unquote, independently, spontaneously come up with something, but then later realize, oh, I probably got it from this thing, which right. I imagine yeah. happens yeah. quite a bit. That is true, but I, I would think that these guys are like, you know, they're probably really into Lord of the Rings. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And he also said, this popular drink is actually named after Vril, and it was that Bavril. <laughs> Bavril. Fucking Bavril. It's like. <laughs> Can you get that in the, like, <laughs> here in the, in, in the United States? What is this drink? <laughs> it's like a fucking. I only know about it because I've heard of about it. It's like a hot cup of liquid meat. Yeah, it's <laughs> beef. It's a uh, okay. I think so it's gonna be like a Bavro like a is the gravy, but it's like it says Bavro is the trademark named of a thick and salty meat extract oh, paste God. similar to yeast extract developed in the 1870s by John Lawson Johnston. I don't think it's supposed to be just drank. I think you're supposed to use it in like cooking, like you are, like you know, like with I'm saying like a lot. You know how when you get bouillon cubes, yeah. Uh, so it's so, like salty, so or something like a beef broth, like you would use it, meat something like that. Flavor, yeah, yeah. And it's very <laughs> no, he's right. It is taken from that. <laughs> this Bob-ril. is Bavril. Is... <laughs> like on one hand, you have like the living fire, the consummate energy of the universe, and the deep magic that resides within. The connect, and then you have a hot cup of liquid meat, meat. extract, like <laughs> meat paste. Okay, yeah. hey, Aubrey, you want a hot cup of bavro? I'm looking at this. A hot cup there's of a meat extract. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at an article here. It's called "The Secret History of Bavro," and it talks about the baz is meaning ox, and the vril is made from this uh, immensely energy dense substance controlled and used by the vril. A superpower subterranean people. What? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Wait, wait. Uh, are you on the Bovril website? I'm reading an article called on cyphermysteries.com called The Secret History of Bovril. And it's explaining all of this. Okay, so it's wrote really that. interesting. Okay, so a fan wrote no, that. It, we're going to come back to this a little bit later with one of our other listener feedback. So, so let me just we'll get off this Bovril thing for a minute. No, I'll never stop I... talking about Bovril. But you never answer the question: Can you get it in the United States? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I forgot to look that up. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can order it. Jen Nikla said, "Yay, the lobster." 
Who knows what evil hides in the hearts of men? The lobster knows. Yes. One look at your gumbo of cruelty and he gets fired up to boil you with extreme justice. All right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the lobster is my favorite of the side series, and this book shows why Mike's writing's so good. He keeps the fun parts in. I read some pulp stories, and let's be honest, they aren't good, mostly. And there's a lot of ugly stuff in them. Yeah. It would be so cool, but I don't need the racism or the sexism or any isms at all. Thank you. And Mike just takes what's cool about them, Guilford guys and wear yetis, and strikes a solid yarn around it. It just works. Because the stories are still aware of their silliness. The fun parts are there, and they are good. But it helps that Mike is a better writer than most of the pulpy guys. Agree with all of that. The yeah. fun shit is there, and the bad stuff is just not there. Right. It's good. Yeah. But yeah. let's be honest, this would just be a minor story if it wasn't for one important piece, Vril. Good old all-explaining Vril. Power of creation, Vril. Liz Powers, Vril. The energy for every deadly machine of every mad scientist in Hellboy, Vril. The stuff that makes the ships from the aliens in Buster Oakley fly, Vril probably. Would make sense for me when everybody uses it. Everybody gets Vril. Just came to my mind, maybe the lobster uses some minor form of Vril? Would explain the eternally hot claw. Maybe he's just not aware of this as Liz. Okay, that's two for Vril and none for the cigarette lighter, (laughs) the car cigarette lighter. So, okay, it's probably Vril. Debate's still out on that one, you know. (laughs) If he uses it without his glove on, then we'll go. There you go. There you go. But if if he can't use it with the glove off... Cigarette letter. Still, <laughs> if you're going to make a very dangerous and horrible Halloween costume, that's yeah. the direction that I would go. Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I did look up Lobster Johnson cosplays, and there's some good ones. I'm sure, There's yeah. been some pretty good ones. He also said, the Nazis trying to bomb New York, this one just makes me laugh. It's funny. I can buy Nazis stealing a real suit, but then being like, oh, let's start a war, a war with America because they're the enemy, the real enemy that lives on the other side of the world. I could never swallow. Because they wanted to invade Russia, not America. And so he asked, did any of this ever happen? Did the Nazis ever try? And Because remember, that's what happens in the Lobster Johnson story. And then so Jerry Turnbull, he linked an article about the America bomber. This was an initiative of the German military to obtain a long-range strategic bomber that would be capable of striking the United States from Germany. Yeah, so there is a little there is a little uh, history to go along with that, which I thought they had a lot of super weird, weird little plans and stuff. I mean, all the connections of comics uh, to like of Hitler to the the occult and yeah. the fucking those the submarine that went to the center of the earth and they all that had stuff. like yeah. a, they they had like a dark magic nazi division they had right. like all this weird you know what i'm saying they're all the uh his history channel the occult weird history documentaries of the about the aliens and the i mean there was a whole bunch of wild stuff going on in there so who knows yeah well I, it's not so far-fetched to think that they would be trying to develop a long-range bomber wasn't there also like reported cases of Nazi submarines off like the coast of like New York or something? Sure. Right, like that? I'm I don't I'm know. sure yeah. I'm sure there are. Who knows? Yeah, what uh, what history even is? I mean, <laughs> well, who knows what reality is at this point? Drew Campbell said, "I love that in this whole universe filled with intriguing and mysterious characters, arguably the most mysterious character of all is this vigilante crime fighter from the 30s. We know more about Memon Sa Guilford." who holds the position of mysterious villain than we do about the protagonist that the book is named after. Other than some vague, bizarre hints that we get later on down the line, we basically know nothing of his origin, and we have no idea of his motivations. 
Yeah, he pursues justice, but why is he so obsessed with it? And what even is his definition of justice? We can infer to a certain extent, but it's never really laid out. And that brings me to another point. I think most modern writers in creating a character like this would present them as very morally ambiguous. He makes himself judge, jury, and executioner, and it would be easy to write him in that way. That makes readers wonder if his methods are really good or just, or if he's just a violent sociopath. But the lobster is never presented this way. The conceit of the stories is always fully supportive of the position that he's a good guy doing the right thing. This is helped by the fact that his crew are much more knowable and relatable than he is, and they all trust him implicitly. Even the common trope of the police being against the vigilante, which is used in later stories, is turned on his head, and he says, I won't go any further than that to avoid spoilers. Anyway, I love the Lobster Johnson stories, and the way they tie this pulp novel style into the greater mythos of the Mignolaverse, it's brilliant. I, I also... I, that's, I think that's a great point about how he's presented as this is just right. the good. because he, he hunts and kills Nazis exclusively. Right. So that's the only way to present that story. <laughs> and I think I agree. That's that's good stuff. I also like the fact that we really don't know a lot about uh, Lawrence Johnson. Cause right. We don't, I mean, it just seems un unimportant right. to the story. I mean, it's, still, it's like a very, yeah. uh, when you keep like, okay, Batman, we know absolutely every fucking thing about Batman, <laughs> including what his dick looks like. We know that his parents were killed. We know that he was coming home from the movies. We know that he's, oh, my parents are dead. We know well, what movie it was. You know, yeah, exactly. We know like all this, and Alfred is the butler, and he, he now he's got Rob. Like we know all of these little details, right? But with uh, with Lobster Johnson, he's got this kind of air of mystery around him. Yeah. It's a very yeah. he's almost like um, it 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 almost has the effect of he's he's that same mysterious character to us as he is to the people in the stories who are like oh the lobster yeah and so that has the effect of having that same effect on us that he's having in the stories. He's almost like a mythological figure. Like every so every time we see him pop up in the quote unquote modern timeline that we're reading like ah it's a lobster johnson yeah you know the ghost <laughs> so it has a very the ghost of, of lobster, lobster johnson. johnson yeah it has that effect. <laughs> i also like the fact that i mean because uh, like when i first started reading comics wolverine was like big and he had like this mystery of i don't know my past when they made it all about mm, that right yeah and then all of a sudden they're like oh here's his past and it's like okay thanks <laughs> 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 Oh my God. And Lobster Johnson isn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do us a favor. Don't do any more of these fucking origin stories. Man. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say two things. Uh, the first one is that even those true history of Lobster Johnson, those little things at the end, oh, yeah. sure. it was kind of all over the place too, you yeah. know, like. We didn't know if he was real, and then they had interpreted him so many different ways over the years. Yeah. That was kind of, it played into that idea, which I really like. And then, I think you mentioned this last week, like when he's with the damsel, oh, yeah. and they're finally alone, he just throws her out the window <laughs> for the other guys to <laughs> take great. care of, and he doesn't like, there's yeah, no, there's yeah. Yeah. what you would typically think of one of these types of pulpy characters. It's what I've always wanted in a story, is yeah. just a guy that's only fucking mission is to do the mission, and he does the mission, and, and all that tropes of, oh, just now right. I'm gonna make out because I'm a damsel in distress. No, just chucks her out the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. 
He's like, you get it, you got her. You okay? I'm out of here. Yeah. Ryan Rowlandson said, a great pulpy intro to the Mighty Lobster that leaps back into the deeper Mignolaverse in a satisfying way and provides an unexpected gravity to a brain-in-a-jar hijinks. Also, I like that suit. <laughs> and well, I posted about that scorpion guy. Remember that scorpion guy oh, yeah. with the mask? Yeah. And Kevin Alford said, damn you, Scorpion Rabinowitz. <laughs> That's uh, the name that Kevin Alfred made up for that right. character. That's canon. We talked about this on his... You heard it here his, first. Yeah, and we had talked about it. Well, actually, we talked about it on that interview that he did last year with us over at Mignolaverse.com. So you heard a, it there first. Yeah, you heard it there first. <laughs> and Sarah Cole said about that scorpion guy, he's very green hornet, but with evil. Sure. <laughs> And Sarah also said, you damn guys should have played up that tin can error in the Lobster Johnson episode as a classic old-timey radio voice hey. of the 20s and 30s. <laughs> um, she says, like, kid, though, thanks for putting out this show and even owning up to the weird, unforeseen tech issues that crop up. There you go. And Sarah's comment, it reminded me of that Mr. Show skit, The Monsters of Megaphone. Yes. Do you remember that skit yes. where they're singing those old-timey oh, songs about devices do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. it's so stupid anyway random what thought were some of the devices i can't remember but at the end he makes a counterfeit money machine and yeah. then they come and arrest him <laughs> he's like counterfeit money machine counterfeit money machine when i posted about memonsa and the snakes Remember in the Black Flame when he uses those snakes to point to that thing? Yeah, yeah. right. That little relic? Jason Adabon said, in that top panel, I want to add an arrow to the diagram with, you are here on it. Uh, because I think the ultimate hell would be an inescapable shopping mall with Lovecraftian horrors. <laughs> and when I posted the comparison of Armstrong and Mignola's version of Anum the Watcher grabbing yeah. the fire from the air... Jason also said, this is my favorite of all Hellboy pages, a numb getting things rolling. I recall first reading that page and knowing it was the right hand of doom. Next time I get to meet Mignolo, that's what I'm begging him to draw. Nice. And that I think that's my all-time favorite, one of my yeah, yeah, all-time favorite pages Absolutely. is from the island. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I posted that Liz was harnessing the Vril in the Black Flame, and Joshua Worley said, Hey, hey, what do you say, you damn guys? <laughs> Liz doesn't just harness it. She is that power. Unlike everyone else that uses that power, she doesn't need to leech it from someone else or need a suit to channel it. She is the fire, and the fire is her. She's never really been taught to control it either. It's the fire of creation, and you only ever see her use it like a hammer. So once she creates with it, does that mean that's the end of her? Just some junk rolling around in my head. Love the last show, even though the sound quality wasn't the best. Keep up the good work. It would have been, except it wasn't, because we saw that with Roger. Right, yeah. Right? I want to say. She imbued Roger with Oh, right. That kind of... Force. But she did almost die. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But she yeah. didn't, because they figured didn't, it yeah. out somehow. Right, yeah. Well, so. Roger gave the power back to her. Right, mm -hmm. but then he was still... Because they put a battery they, in him. Yeah, they did a thing. Okay, yeah. So there, there it is. There you go. That's my very complicated book report. No, but you. Uh, <laughs> but what's funny is you guys are putting it all together. You're, you know what I mean. Like, this is um, 
I, I was just thinking about it today. It's the book like, club. We all talk about it together, and then you write it in, and then we talk about what you wrote, and then we read some more. Yeah, uh, I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was thinking about like, okay, think about a trade, a typical yeah. trade paperback. Okay, now think about twenty-five trade paperbacks sure. because that's what you all have read. Oh, okay, through. that's the amount of. How about it? You know, trades that you guys have read into this whole thing, and it's all connecting, and it's just, it's just wonderful. That's why I love this, this whole thing so much. And so back to that Bovril topic that we were talking Uh-oh. about. Lassa Jurgensen said, "Don't forget to read up on the real world Vril. It looks like Mike used it for inspiration, and he linked a Wikipedia article for Vril." And so this article references a novel by Edward Buller Lighton called The Coming Race, published anonymously in 1871. It has also been published as Vril, The Power of the Coming Race. Some readers have believed the account of a superior subterranean master race and the energy form called Vril. At least in part, some theophysists, notably Helena Blavatsky, remember we talked about Blavatsky, accepted the book as based on occult truth, in part. One 1960 book, The Morning of the Magicians, suggested that the secret Vril Society existed in Berlin. However, there is no evidence of the existence of such a society. So there was really, you know, this whole mythos that we're reading about there. Blavatsky's mythos that she was obsessed with basically said that there was a subterranean group of people that were that came from the original race of man who knew how to harness this real energy. Lovecraft used to write a lot about subterranean pre whatever pre people stuff right the city of ur or something like right that. so i guess like bovril is supposed to be kind of like it's based partly on this you don't get the connection between <laughs> i think you drink it and it gives you power no or it gives you energy or no. whatever <laughs> so so coats, it's like it a, coats uh, your mouth with a, a meat extract version of red bull <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna. A, I'm I think that's the best some, way to put it. I'm gonna have some Bovril flown over here to the states, we, we and then I'm gonna a, make. We need you to find it. some. We'll find some, and we'll drink it on the podcast. Oh man, <laughs> I might try it. It depends on how it smells. Kevin Alfred said, "You mentioned Johan possibly being able to take over an Ogdruhem, but remember what happened when he was shepherding the dead frog spirits into the afterlife." As I recall, it was very unpleasant and near fatal. I don't think he'd even take the chance. Yeah, so we had talked about that a little bit last week. We had pondered on that. Yeah, and I totally forgot about that. He almost got sucked into that evil Ogdruhem heaven void that the frogs were all pumped about, remember? Yeah, Yeah. they were excited about it. So, uh, yeah, that's a a really good point, Kevin. They were so cute. They were so happy. They were pumped about it. They're like, man, that looks horrible. I can't wait. (laughs) And um, Mark Tweedell... I just want to thank Mark Tweedo again because with our thanks, Mark uh, Tweedo. Yeah, with our uh, thank you. We we had the outtakes episode, so we had to kind of rearrange for that. And then I mentioned on last week's episode that I kind of wanted to work Hellboy in Mexico in, and so Mark Tweedo shuffled things around so that way we can do that. What a nice wow. guy! And he even said, uh, I thought this was funny. So the Hellboy in Mexico, it's called Hellboy in Mexico or a Drunken Blur. <laughs> and it takes place I think it takes place over a couple months and Hellboy's drunk most of the time. Nice. And Mark was saying that we needed to come up with a drinking game for that episode. Let's do it. So we can get drunk throughout that <laughs> throughout uh, that podcast episode. For our sober listeners you can you can take a hot shot of Bovril. There. You- <laughs> Less fun. But 
And Mark more, said, uh, "More better for you." More meat? Is it good for you? <laughs> I don't know if like if your salt levels can handle that right. in your body. And Mark said he was glad we liked the placement of the Iron Prometheus. It will make even more sense when you dive into the Black Goddess. So yeah, so we had the warning, and then we had the Iron Prometheus, the Lobster Johnson, and now we're coming back to this. Did you notice? As I guess oh, we'll talk yeah. about it, but oh, how they definitely. all kind of fit together, it was very nice. This week we're talking about BPRD, The Black Goddess. The Black Goddess was published as a five-issue miniseries from January to May 2009. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. And covers by Kevin Nolan. Yeah. Kevin Nolan, who we last saw on Buster Oakley Gets His Wish, and then we also saw him do some inking for the covers on The Warning. He's doing the all the pencils on the covers this week. Although I have to just mention, I've got the omnibus... Right. Edition. So I've got some Mignola covers in here too that just for the trades, I guess. Yeah, I but think those were the trade covers. And it's a really good cover. Amazing yeah. cover. I love it. It's beautiful. I was like going back and looking at the trade covers after I finished the story because you're like, oh, yeah, because that's what that was. Yeah, that's, that was. that's a good point, Aubrey. Yeah. So at the end of the warning, Devon told Abe that he had found the lobster's hideout. And then we read the Iron Prometheus last week, and now we're back with Abe, Johan, and Devon. They ride a small boat in the sewer, in the sewer tunnels, into the lobster's hideout. I like Devon. Yeah, Devon, he's a, he's a cool character, and he's starting to become more regular. You know, he's part of a regular part yeah, of the man. cast series now. <laughs> Devon thought it would be cooler looking. Once you recover from your disappointment, start with these files, Johan says. Abraham, let's see what else we can find. And have we talked about how Johan always uses full names? Have you noticed yeah. that? He says Catherine, Abraham, mm -hmm. and Elizabeth. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's oh. kind of an old school thing, isn't yeah. it? Like um Yeah. I, I've noticed that like, yeah, my grandparents and all of them would always do the same thing. <laughs> but she would always she would always call my mother by her first name and her husband right. by her first name. It's very it was very I think it's to the person it feels more intimate. Like that's an old school I just noticed. I don't know. Mm. And I also that might be like a location specific thing that maybe that's just part of his culture and then right. because here in the the southern United States I know that that's part of some southern family culture is that's like a sign of whatever Mm. I don't know. Is that like a culture thing? Do you think? Or? I thought it was. It was more of a formal way because you're using right. their formal name and not their not in like a um, like a nickname or something. So right, right. You're being like you know more formal in his speech towards them. Interesting. Yeah. Why would it, why would he just be? He's just like a formal dude. I mean, well, I mean, he's got that whole like you know late uh, 19th century, early 20th yeah, century like ar guy. aristocratic right. kind of, uh, hmm. vibe huh. going. And again, we get some really great Guy Davis art. We talked about how in the sketchbook of the Iron Prometheus, there were all these sketches that Guy Davis had done of the lobster's hideout. And so here we get just all this detail on this giant double splash page. And I like how it's like, it's not extravagant, right? It's all rusted and oh, everything. Yeah. And it's all kind of like, you, you can just see how worn it all is. We cut to this scene and it's like this flashback scene, right? What did this you think about this scene? It reminds me a lot of uh, Venture Brothers. Yeah, it's got that kind of feel. Here. We we've seen that guy with the um the neck brace before, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we sure did. Um God, what was this guy's name? The Steel Hawk. We the... saw his trial and then we saw part of his neck brace in yeah. Mr. Pope's office in the Black Flame. Thank you for pointing that out, Aubrey. 
I'm sitting there looking at this panel, though. It's just like, man, that is such an inconvenient thing to be wearing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It reminds me of uh, Venture Bros because it's just so freaking ridiculous. He's oh, got yeah. these like alligators on oh, the yeah. leashes <laughs> at the bottom. You can just you can just hear whatever whoever Doc Hammer doing the voice. Yeah, yeah. and it's a flashback of Harold McTell. And he's in the middle of some action movie-esque fight scene, and all these great characters are in there. And as we turn the page, we see that he's with the lobster, right? The lobster pops in. Feel the burning stings of justice, the lobster says, joining (laughs) Harold. That's a really great reveal. All right, Mr. McTell, settle down, a nurse says. And we reveal Harold's an old man now, and he's missing a leg in a wheelchair. Oh, so you're tired of listening to Father Time here rattle on, he says. No more stories, that it? I'd like to hear a few, and we see Kate Corrigan. Old FBI files indicate that McTell was part of the Lobster's crew. Back with Abe and Johan, they look for information on Guilford. I just want to say, I really like the transition from the flashback to the modern times. I like how his, uh, the placement of his hands, he's all like, yeah, I'm about ready to... Yeah, that. he's he's sure, still reliving yeah. his little flashback yeah. there, all ready to fight. Yeah, that's a good detail, and just the... It's a nice per- transition, yeah. The personality, too, yeah. that Guy Davis gives this guy. Well, because that's yeah. what you, when you're telling stories, yeah, you're, yeah. 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 I, I just, I just love, that, I love that little detail yeah. yeah. to this stuff. Back with Abe and Johan, they look for information on Guilford. Abe is worried that their only links to Guilford and their chance of finding Liz are a 90-year-old man and a ghost. Speaking of ghosts, Abe says, do you feel anything? This is the lobster's home. Ah, I see, says Johan. You want to know if his spirit will possess me again, yes? No, Abraham, I am in full control of myself. You needn't worry about... And Abe's like, take it easy. Take it easy. I'd be irresponsible if I didn't monitor things. And it's not you. It's not a matter of your character. You're in the field. You're here with me. Doesn't that tell you something? Thank you, Agent Sapien, Johan says. I am grateful, and please be assured I will make every effort to justify your trust. We were just talking about that, how Guy Davis draws these characters with so much expression. They're so expressive. And so the next panel here is him saying, oh, you know, sarcasm works a lot better when you've got a face. But I could tell. Before right, I read that, like, he was being sarcastic just from his posture oh, yeah. and his body language. The way his hand is up. And it's just, yeah, it's it's great. When he's leaning in and he's got the hand up. Yeah, you can just kind of tell. It's very expressive. And so Guy Davis, um, again, does a good job of that. Yeah, I love that detail. And yeah. Devon comes over with a file and it says, Martin Guilford, Memnonsa. We cut back over to Kate and Harold. That was when it all started. Before that, we saw weird things, bad things, sure. But this guy... He was something, and I don't mean maybe. The fact that he's alive and still troubling you, all that proves it. But the lobster, he knew it back then. And so we get an awesome flashback, another great placement by Mark Tweed of the Iron Prometheus, because we're seeing the end of the Iron Prometheus here. That skull at the bottom that's like the top is cut off, that's Dr. Galarraga, remember? Yeah. Yeah, so I love all that. It doesn't spell it out for you, but it's all there, and then... This last panel, or this panel at the top of 161 in the omnibus, that was the last panel of the Lobster Johnson trade. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, so did this one come out before that Lobster Johnson one, or did Lobster Johnson come out first? I think it had come out already. Okay, Lobster Johnson had it come out already? Yeah. Okay. Harold said he'd never seen the lobsters scared, but he didn't back off. They set off to find out everything about Memnon Sa. Harold says... 
He was good at covering his tracks, no doubt, but the five of us, we were pretty all right, too. Bob dug up scraps of info in public records, while Bill, well, he had his own sources. Gave me a chance to brush up on my Mandarin Chinese, too. And then Lester followed all our leads abroad, including a few the lobster digs up with his own research. And we get all these cool flashbacks of all the team doing their thing. We started piecing it together, see? But every time we'd come across something big, accidents would happen. And we see one guy, he's uh, fallen down some stairs and broken his head open. Poor Lester, damn things ain't even supposed to be fatal. And we see that Lester got stung by a scorpion. What the hell was an African bug doing in London anyway? And then there was Bob. And so we see that it looks like Bob, he's found hanged. Well, that was it. Lobster, he just told me to stop. He didn't want me to look anymore. Said we had enough. And I like this panel of the lobster looking like dejected down there. Last week when we were talking about the lobster's crew, Aubrey, you had asked if there were two different blonde guys with glasses. And so this got me to thinking a little bit because there's one on Night Train. Right. Um, that Scott Collins drew, and that one died on the train. Yeah, I remember. And then here we see this one was found hanged. So I think there are two, right? Because there's two different death scenes. So I think that maybe the one that was on Night Train was a different one, because it looks like he's got curly hair, and I think that this one is the one that we saw in Killer in My Skull. Anyway, that might be pointless, but I just I just was thinking about that anyway. Okay, so do you remember the song Bob by Primus? I think so. Yeah. On Pork Soda, do you remember what the, the, the lyrics were? No. That he he had a friend that hung himself. Oh, wow. And okay. this guy named Bob hung himself. Yeah, interesting. He didn't, though. Well, well, of course, he didn't do that, but I'm just thinking, is that a coincidence? Maybe. Probably. It may, probably. May, <laughs> maybe it's just, yeah. Maybe someone's a Primus fan. McTell continues, a man by the name of Martin Guilford is committed to Bedlam on or about May 18th, 1867. He is eventually discharged on July 17, 1890, after responding to treatment. Guilford then borrows money from several friends for a long journey, the exact nature of which he never reveals. At this time, Guilford disappears from all public record. And we get some nice flashbacks. We know that Guilford was in Bedlam when we read Witchfinder in the Service of Angels, and we see that he was eventually released from Bedlam. Did you want to talk about this bottom panel, or weren't you talking about that earlier? His grasp on perspective and foreshortening is very, it seems so effortless. I'm sure he worked a very long time to, you know, to hone those skills, but it just is very, I mean, that could be a photograph. Yeah. I like that. It's it's, it's actually a lot, it's a hard thing to learn when you're first starting out. It's very like, how do shapes work? And so I think that that's, anyway, it's, it's a very simple kind of a throwaway panel, but to me, I was looking at it, and I was like, people have no idea how hard it is to draw oh, a boat like right. that. And McTell goes on that in 1913, a man assists a Mongol warlord in a successful battle that routs a Russian battalion. The translation from the reports is ambiguous, but one possible interpretation of his name could be Memnon Sa. And so I kind of looked this up. On February 2nd, 1913, Mongolian cavalry forces were sent to liberate Inner Mongolia from China. The Russian Empire refused to sell weapons, and Russian Tsar Nicholas II spoke of Mongolian imperialism. And this was part of the Mongolian Revolution of 1911. So there's their little historical reference to tie in. June 1937, Memnon Sa makes his first confirmed appearance this time in New York City. Martin Guilford would be 101 years of age at this time. And this bottom panel is a recreation of that 
picture that we saw in the dead that Johan found. So it's all kind of coming full circle. And that's it. Rather an abrupt ending. And I like how these two scenes are bookended, right? Because it starts off with mctell is telling kate right and then it ends with johan and abe and devon are reading the file so they're both getting the information through this flashback but it's kind of shifting us you know what i mean i just really like yeah. that perspective, um, perspective shifts from yeah different, um... we cut to this golden palace this is such an impressive page yeah that you turn to immediately not not just the um of course the it's very striking just the way the page is laid out and it's yeah. very you know but when you are turning the page from the previous page the entire and this is for, this is a compliment for the mighty dave stewart the entire palette is different you've yeah. got these very muted very sepia gray, tone. Yeah. gray and sepia it's very muted and then they turn the page it's immediately the brightest possible colors and the, it's very um so yeah it's just a very striking page turn and we see a monk, he's carving these jade frogs, these little, these little frog frogs, yeah. carvings, and he paints a symbol on them with orange paint, and he puts them all in this tray, and we see him walking with them, and again, all this detail in the background by Guy Davis is really impressive. I like these two pages. Yeah. Good. Yeah, really nice. I like the little jade frog, I mean, yeah. it just looks cool. <laughs> And it's kind of like, it reminds me of on The Warning when we just got that weird scene of that lady loading her shotgun at those raincoats or whatever. And it's like, here we just get this weird thing. We're like, what's happening? And then it goes back to the story. We cut to Panya's menagerie. And we see all the animals from Garden of Souls. And so She's out and about on her bed chair and she's got like the little creature that we saw in the story before the pelican monkey the pelican monkey and the cat is so cute yeah makes me laugh every time i see this it's really adorable yeah the doctor approaches panya there you are why didn't i just look here first she says ever since you rehabbed that right hand of yours you're a terror with the joystick (laughs) (laughs) and panya she doesn't like that the animals are in this cage or that they're in this containment miss panya we can't have those things running all over the complex they could be dangerous Listen to me, dear. Those animals couldn't be more passive. I lived among them for decades. Harmless, Panya says. More to the point, they're familiar. You're too young to understand how comforting that is. I'm an old, old woman. I need comforting, and you can't be around all the time. The doctor says, well, soon the agents will find Miss Sherman. I know how much you like her. When they bring her home, you'll have plenty of company. And Panya says, oh, no, dear. No, Elizabeth won't be coming back. And this expression on Panya's face in this last panel, too, I think is just very, I don't know, just really, when you read that, you're just like, Yeah, it's Fuck, very definitive, no. yeah. What is, what is she talking about? It's also got a kind of a little bit of remorseful look to her. Oh, know? yeah. She's like, you know, it's this definitive and final, but she's really sad about it. Yeah. Back with Harold and Kate, he tells her that the lobster wasn't the same after Bob died. When the president called him, I think it was kind of a relief. A chance to leave a few ghosts behind him, you know? And so we had talked about this, too, a little bit last week, and I don't think we came back to it. You were asking about if the lobster was a government agent. Right, yeah. And I was like, we're going to come back to that, and then we never did. Yeah. But here we kind of see, so I think he wasn't, but then he does get recruited by the president. Huh, interesting. And nobody called Harold, so he joined the Republic of China Air Force to help them fight the Japanese. I had no idea what FDR had the lobster doing, not until Hunt Castle. And that I didn't hear about till after. This panel is amazing. 
So this Where panel he just fucking runs in, yeah. shooting up a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> it's great. And so this panel is from the beginning of Conqueror Worm. It's great. So yeah. that's what they had the lobster doing was trying to um, stop the Nazis from sending this capsule into space. And you see that that's kind of what happened there. And you can go back and listen to our episode on Conqueror Worm if you want a refresher on all that. Guess you heard about it too. And I like this beat down here yeah. at the bottom where he just kind of looks away from Kate. He doesn't want to think about or acknowledge, you know, the lobster passing. Harold tells Kate that was 70 years ago and he still can't believe it. Kate asks if Harold ever heard about the lobster after Hunt Castle. What? Miss Corrigan, he died at Hunt Castle. That's what I was just talking about. Kate says, Mr. McTell, in my line of work, and he just gives her that look. That uh, panel right there, that that beat is, uh, it's just something about it that's yeah. very striking. A lot of credit to Guy Davis for just, this. it seems so simple, this, the quote-unquote simplest thing, but it's not simple. It's It's complicated, and doing beats like this, you know, can sometimes be either overutilized or not utilized properly right. and he yeah. he uses that that silent beat very well and and that expression something about it is just very striking i don't know and so um I, i've been using that word a lot this episode but yeah, yeah anyway <laughs> and kate changes the subject too she's like okay you were telling me and so she like kind of shifts that conversation. she i think she kind of sees his face and yeah. decides to kind of go the other way i want to talk about that I, and i i think that's very i love kate's you know she's got this very professionalism yeah. kind of she's she's trying to get the information she needs but she she's gonna do it without breaking that guy's heart if she can right and i think that that's very there's so much humanness she brings so much very tactful yeah she brings she brings a lot to the table i think she we've seen that she can get it done and she can hold her own in the field but we also see that she's she's that connection that we have i think to the all the the warmth and humanity that we are otherwise what are you even right. fighting for like what's yeah. the point kind of a thing you know that part in the movie where you're like if we don't preserve <laughs> this if we're just indis- you know discriminately well what are we even fighting for <laughs> We're fighting for the idea of love and whatever. And so that's kind of, she sort of is reminding us of that here in this moment. And that's a very purposeful moment in the script. You know, that doesn't happen by accident. That's someone who is thinking about, they've probably had, had to have tough conversations with people where they're trying to get information, but they don't want to step on their feelings. And it's just such an interesting dynamic that, that you would put that in there. And it just, um, I think a script always needs those little moments of things that you can connect to. Right. And it kind of reminds me of Kate with Abe when he was learning all that stuff about Langdon Call in Rhode Island. Harold never stopped looking for Memnon Sa. He joined the Army Air Force and became a navigator, but Sa stayed a few steps ahead of him. And the Army didn't care about Sa or Harold's revenge. Harold wanted to track and hunt Sa down, but stuff happened. And Harold holds his leg, right? That must be where he lost his leg. Having a member of the old crew, interviewing a member of the old crew, yeah. like that's such yeah. a cool, you know, a lot of expositionists can be really ham-fisted in some stories that you read. They can be really clumsy and it can be kind of like, here's where the exposition is. <laughs> but, you know, I just love the, those stories where you're so caught up in the moments and the interactions yeah. between the characters that... The vehicle totally disappears. It just, yeah. You're just in a good right. story. You're just in a good story, and you like this character immediately, and you're like, I like this guy. 
that's telling the story. It's not a dreary trudge through information. He's he's really telling a story, and that the the artwork's really telling a story that's engaging. You know what I mean? Like um, it comes together. It's such a good creative team that that brings it all together. Like when he's looking at these maps and looking off to the side, like that's. You wouldn't think about a panel like that being exciting, but it is exciting to think about this guy's doing this, all of this. Right. So we can fucking hunt this guy down. Yeah. That's yeah. just so interesting to me. It's like, ah, oh, I did this so I could get my hands on these maps, and I did this so I could do yeah. this. Like, he's still dedicated, yeah. and that's he's so interesting. His career, yeah. So, like, yeah, this isn't just a, we're trying to move the story along. It moves the story along in a really enjoyable way. And I don't know. I just really appreciate stuff like that, I guess. Over with Abe, Johan, and Devin. They wrap up their investigation. Johan says, Abraham earlier, I know you were just doing your job. Forget about it, Abe interrupts. No, I'd rather not, Johan responds. We're here looking for Elizabeth, and we should be, of course. But there is other work we know we must attend to. This endless loop of frustration and guilt feeds on itself. It can only generate tension. But that does not excuse me. Really, Johan, forget it, Abe says. The truth is I was half hoping you could channel the lobster's spirit. I'm betting he could tell us where Guilford's hiding Liz. Maybe, Johan says, but he is not so easily managed. That much I have learned. And Devon doesn't find anything, so Johan says, there's nothing else for us here. And there's this quiet panel. I really like this quiet panel yeah. at the bottom as they kind of sail out of there. After all of that, it's just kind of... yeah. When he says there's nothing else for us here, he's saying that about that being in the hideout. But I kind of feel like he's also saying it about yeah their kind of emotional exchange. Yeah. Or also, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it wraps it up nicely. It's really, that's just so good. Yeah. Over with Kate and Harold. Harold tells Kate that he last saw Law before he lost his leg in the Korean War. And so that would have been in the 1950s. Harold had access to classified intel flights while fighting for his country. And he found out where Saw was holed up. Big place and hard to pack up. And he gives her directions. Is that the lobster's goggles? Yeah, I was going to say, I like how he has the lobster's Oh, you're there. right. Yeah, I didn't even notice that detail. That is so awesome. He's also got some like Air Force wings, I guess. Yeah, he's got some, he's got some bird trash up here. He's got a little bag. Little tiny bag, got a pipe. Oh yeah, that's cool. Matchbook, some change. I bet that change from foreign countries. Oh yeah. So chapter two, and you were talking about the Mignola trade cover, and this is kind of like Kevin Nolan's version of the same thing, kind right? Of, yeah, a little yeah. bit. I do like this cover. We open on the Stanovoy Range. The Stanovoy Range is a mountain range located in southeastern parts of Russia, far east. So wait, is it, I want to know more about this. Is it get like notorious for being inhospitable? It's right outside of Siberia. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's right at that part of, of Russia, Mongolia. Man, yeah. okay. We hear a phone call that I assume is between Manning and some U.S. official. Sorry, do people live there? Do we know? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I'm probably. Just... There's probably very few people. I don't know. I I didn't look that much into it. I won't. I'm sorry. I, That's I'm, okay. I sound so ignorant, too. I don't know anything about anything, so. Uh, about where people live. I don't know. That's okay. Because I just can't think. I hate snow so much. We see the BPRD is being backed by the U.S. military. And they have this huge force. They have like seven tanks supporting them and all these troops. And Johan is kind of scouting ahead. The colonel talks to Abe. And he isn't thrilled about Johan scouting ahead. But Abe tells him that Johan likes to be alone. 
and his containment suit is the most expendable body they have. Abe, Kate calls. I'm just repeating what he said, Kate, but I don't disagree, Abe responds. Again, Kate is the, sorry, again, Kate is the, she's like, hey, come on. Yeah. Like, that's not a nice thing to say. He's like, I'm just repeating what he said. Abe says he doesn't want to throw the soldiers in the line of fire first. Of course not, Kate says, but Johan's a valued team member. And Abe goes, we have a spare containment suit with us, so. Oh, man. The colonel says to cut the squabble. Harold's directions were right on the money, and we see a large compound in the snow. And these runes and all that stuff, it kind of reminded me of that other space that they we saw in Lobster yeah. Johnson, right? Yeah. He said they were on the roof of the old civilization or whatever. As the team approaches this large compound, and so it just looks Oh, sorry, like... where they saw the dragon and the stars you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, remember? Super cool. And they saw a gold dragon, right? They did. In the sky. It's, and it's like a giant wall. It looks like a giant wall with a small opening and steps leading up to it. It's so cool. Such a cool design. The team approach, and a monk appears on the steps. The colonel is quick to pull his gun, and they go to see what he knows. And we get this good scene. I like the monkey. Yeah, this is awesome. He holds up his hand to halt, and the colonel does too. And he's like, why did I just do that? <laughs> so the monk definitely has some powers. He like Jedi mind tricked him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on this next page, we see that the monk also has that twin serpent medallion that we saw last week in the Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. You came here to see Miss Sherman, and you will, but not all of you. You and you and... You and the monk skips over Johan <laughs> and goes to, to Devon. He yeah. points to Abe, he points to Kate, and then he's uh, thinking and... about it and no, points to Devon. And Devon's even like, Me? Like he's it's pointing really to cute, himself, yeah. like, What? <laughs> what? You can't keep me from seeing Liz, Johan says. And the colonel says, Don't tell me we ain't on the guest list, little man. But Abe calls them off. He tells the colonel that they'll talk first and if they're not back in two hours, to come find them. And he tells Johan they need a BPRD man out front anyway. Might as well be you, okay? And Johan's like, all right, Abraham. The colonel says, why and how did I ever agree to a mission with a civilian in charge? I didn't understand that line. Who's the civilian? Well, I don't know. Because, or, oh, because there's, are they saying because the monk is t- is telling them what to do and he's basically a civilian because... Well, I was... I, Go ahead. I was just I was just, I was thinking he was referring to Abe and the BPRD because they are they they're a government agency, but they're probably not a branch of the military, so they wouldn't be considered military. Oh. They'd be considered civilians. I thought they were a branch of the military. Okay. No, they yeah, are. that kind of confused me a little bit because I was like, wait, I thought that they they have badges and shit. They right? are. Well, like, they are a branch of the military because remember when they're all in that room and he's like, we've lost some good men. I'm making a speech like I'm a general in a movie, and we have to. Oh yeah. I think that that's anyway. Well, that I mean, was a little confusing. Yeah, I mean, I always figured they were an agency more like the FBI, CIA, or the those NSA. Are, those are so military. The, no, they're not. Aren't they? No. FBI an FBI uh-huh. agent is a civilian. Yes. Com- well, not to, in the wait, eyes of the military. In the eyes of the military. Oh. Interesting. Okay. I wonder if that's yeah. another one of those like politicky things we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know how the army doesn't like the air force or whatever again i'm just showing my complete ignorance as to all of this send us a hey you damn guys about that we could probably google it (laughs) no i want someone to to do that (laughs) the monk says stay close it is easy to lose the way 
And Abe's like, I guess you'll want us to hand over our guns. And the monk's like, what would I do with your guns? <laughs> that was a funny line. And he takes him into this um, space. I, there's a real little detail, but it looks like there's just a small opening. But then when they go in, it's like, it's just the little entrance is like that. Yeah. And then inside yeah. it's wider. I like that little detail for some reason. I was like, I just thought that was really interesting. And he takes him into this weird maze inside. After walking for a while, he's like, no one got lost. And Abe's like, did you want us to? He's very... And he's like, so much anger, but don't worry. The rest of the way is easy. And so we reveal this beautiful city within these walls. And there's like this golden tower at the top. It's that same golden tower that we saw in those two pages yeah. that we really liked in the last issue. My, my Immediately, I thought oh shangri-la and then later someone refers to it right sarcastically yeah. as shangri-la yeah well i also like how everything was like frozen outside and it's got the whole like i mean it looks like summer there yeah <laughs> exactly and so it looks like those hyperborean cities that we've seen in a couple of the flashbacks a few more kilometers and you'll and then you'll find your peace and the monk points to that gold tower. We get another really great focus on that tower again on the next page. Yeah, jeez. And the monk takes them into this palace and he brings them into this room, he opens the curtains and he says as promised. And Kate says, "Oh my god." And we get this reveal of Liz. Goddess more accurately. Yeah, and she's hovering She's in a cloak and she's kind of like hovering in front of this giant statue of the black goddess. It's and so cool. It is really yeah. amazing looking. It looks really good. Of course, um, Dave Stewart did a good job with this, but I love the way that Guy Davis close uh he does the big wide shot and then the close up of her yeah. as they're seeing the situation. That's kind of yeah. how you would process it, you know? And so that's interesting. And the close up of her is it's just so beautiful, like you know the obviously the way that she's sitting doing the this whole thing, but then her hair has just a slight movement to it, a right. little breeze, maybe yeah. from the fire, you know, because you know that makes heat and it kind of makes a little bit of a concurrent yeah, 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 so that's mm -hmm. just like such an interesting little detail that I just thought really perfected that panel, yeah, when you turn the page and you see this it you just want to stare at it for a little bit, yeah. yeah. And then when you turn the page again, because of um, Memnon saw is got a whole new design here, right? Not just yeah. not just um, you know the the shape of him, the clothing that he's wearing. Obviously, got an upgrade. He's got a whole cool <laughs> costume here. But then Dave Stewart does something with the coloring around his eyes. Oh that yeah, that is so interesting yeah. to me that I just love. And the more you know they team up the more i just this art team is incredible. oh yeah i mean really you know because um guy davis has a lot of good shots the eyes are so important to this character in this in this issue to me like it's just a very his transformation is yeah. Yeah. getting more wild as we go on and i think that the eyes have been kind of one of the defining features like when we saw him in Witchfinder, we knew that it was him right away because of those eyes yeah yeah and so he's um it kind of reminded me of when we see, this is so stupid, when we see Skeletor at the end of sure. the Master of the Universe sure. movie, and he's in this giant gold <laughs> big... headdress. Yeah. Memnon Sa is in this This is black. a decidedly cooler design. Yeah, and so this top part, this headdress thing that he's wearing, this helmet, it kind of, is that the Black Goddess's head yes, or something, that right? Cool. That's part of it, and the mouth is like on his, the teeth or around his head. It looks really great. I dig the color. Yeah, and the coloring is really nice. We still get a lot yeah. of the gold and red, but now most of it is black. Well, his collar. 
Oh, you're oh, talking his about collar. The, yeah. I thought you said color. Yeah. Well, I think the color too. The color palette is great. Gold, black, and red are yeah. amazing together. Yeah. I thought you said color, but yeah, his collar is really great too. How it comes up the. It's got that high collar. In a way, we're very gonna... aesthetically driven people, so we could talk about this forever. Sorry, Aubrey, what did you say? I was like, he probably's got a neck brace in that collar to help <laughs> hold that giant hat on his head. <laughs> it looks pretty heavy. He says, you didn't listen. I told you to stay away, and you came anyway. You men, you never listen. And Abe says, don't scold me, you lousy fucker. What have you done to her? And the monk's like, control yourself. And Abe says, I've had just about enough of your Zen flunky here. And so Abe goes to punch him. And the monk says, if you can't control yourself, then I shall. And the monk goes to handle Abe. But then Abe catches him and flips him upside down. And he pulls his gun on Memnon Saw. I told you if I ever got you in front of me in the flesh, I told you I'd get some answers. I don't know. Why would you pull a gun on an evil wizard, though? That just seems like not a good idea. (laughs) Uh, It just seems like totally like in uh, Abe's character. And I got to say, I love this whole beat where he goes to punch the monk. And the monk like goes, who I'm a Zen Kung Fu master. And he backs away. And then he goes to... And then Abe's like, I know some moves too, dude. Yeah. Bam! And I'm glad you mentioned that, Aubrey, because like, we've seen Liz like practicing and working out, but I don't know if we've ever seen Abe. like, You know, it made me think of um, Box Full of Evil. You know, yeah. he pulls that, he pulls the brick out of the wall that he's chained to and hits the monkey with it. And right. it's like, he can right. fight. Like, he's got yeah. some, he's got some strength to him. Yeah. We don't see that too often, so I liked that moment. He's kind of he's kind of not got the best plan here, though. Like I was right, saying. yeah. Oh, like, he's yeah, very totally, emotionally totally yeah. he's emotionally driven. Totally agree with you there. <laughs> Outside, but I still love that beat. No, sure, yeah, 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 it was still badass. <laughs> Outside, Johan is talking with the colonel, and Johan explains Abe's decision and says Guilford is not associated with any sovereign nation. In that respect, you could say he's something of a terrorist. And the colonel tells Johan, "I need you to see something." And so they turn around and they see on the wall, this giant structure, there are more monks. They wear the twin serpent medallions and some of them have guns. Well, I like how the, uh, what is he, commander or sergeant or something like that? The colonel. Colonel, yeah. I like how he says, not that your rationalizations aren't fascinating, but I need (laughs) you to see something. So he sees all these monks with guns and he says, guns, Agent Krauss. Do you know what I think when I see guns, even old guns? Probably I do, yes, Johan says. All right, break time's over, says the colonel. Looks like we'll have some army business after all. Back with Abe, he's holding the gun on Guilford and he asks, what's it going to be? And Guilford just raises his hand and Abe's pushed to the ground. I'm an evil wizard, you dumbass. I'm an evil wizard, you dumbass. (laughs) He says, please understand, I'm not angry with you. Not with any of you. Because you're too late. Miss Sherman is well beyond your reach, beyond the reach of anyone. She was your friend, but she would never leave me now. And Devon's like, Christ, he's in love with her. Kate says, look, you let us in. You obviously want to talk. So tell us your goddamn story already. Memnon Saw says, but it's not my story, Doctor. It's yours. Hasn't your amphibian friend told you? Didn't you see it for yourself in Germany? Didn't you see that your enemies have found allies? And we get a flashback of the warning where they found out that the frogs were working with the proto-humans. I've exaggerated nothing. Your war is so much greater than you know, even yet. You raised the stone on your own. You have looked at what slithers beneath. But beneath the earth, beneath that stone, the next world teems. It grows and grows and grows unchecked. 
and we get this awful depiction of all these giant pregnant frogs. Thanks, I hate it. And we see in their bellies are all the tadpoles to make millions of more frog monsters. Such a horrible sight. (laughs) Yeah. It won't stay down there. It's coming very, very soon. And even the things once familiar to you about that world are different now, more lethal. And we see the black flame with the proto-humans. <laughs> so yeah, so he, so Memnon saw kind of hints that he could come back even deadlier than before. I am not insensible to the way you see me. I even understand it. But I've only spoken truth to all of you. Only and always truth. And with that in mind, listen to me. Nothing you or I or anyone can do will keep hundreds of millions from perishing when this new world comes. What? That's it, Kate says? I don't get the magical mystery slideshow like Liz and Abe. (laughs) It may be that we are beyond where those images are necessary, Memnonsa says. And Kate asks, where exactly are we then? As you say, Dr. Corrigan, I want to talk. So let me tell you why I, why Miss Sherman and I are your only bleak and distant hope, he says. And I like that analogy of him saying that you lifted the stone and saw what slithers underneath, but underneath that there's another stone and blah, blah, blah. Underneath the soil, you know, all of that. Outside, the colonel readies the men to punch a hole in the wall of the temple. And one of the monks comes down to talk to them. He says, I see your men are ready to fight. That's excellent. And Johan's like, it is? But you'll need to turn around. The attack will be coming from there. And the monk points behind them. And they all turn around. And there's this giant explosion. We get this giant double (laughs) splash page. And tons of frog monsters and proto-human guys come rushing out. And they've got those swords and everything. I really do like these double splash pages we've been getting in the last few uh, stories. I love this next page. I love it. Yeah, so, good God, the colonel exclaims. What the hell are those? Nobody told me about those. The frogs are here, Johan says. The colonel turns around to ask the monk how he knew about these guys. And he's a were-yeti. He's a were-yeti. <laughs> yeah, so he was standing there, and, Yo- cool. and he's standing behind Johan. So we saw were-yetis in the Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. All right, chapter three. I really like this cover, too. And it made me think, are we going to get, like, a modern uh, Johnson there? Hmm. But, oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, the the BPRD <laughs> soldier uniform kind of looks like the Lobster Johnson. Yeah, you're right. I think it's the eyes that do it for me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so they continue to attack, and we see all the frogs and the proto-humans coming up, and the colonel finally gets to fire one of his tanks. That ought to slow him down. Now, if your friends inside can wrap this up, maybe we'll get out of here alive. Back with Guilford, Abe, and the BPRD gang. Oh, I get it. You don't want to rule the world. You want to save it, Abe says. I guess that makes us the bad guys, then? Let me stop you there, Guilford. I've listened to all this before. Oh, I'll admit, those guys looked a lot crazier than you, but it sounds exactly the same. And so I think he's referencing the Oan Society and Garden of Souls, right? Yeah. And Memnon Saw says, Guilford, there was a man named Martin Guilford. He was lost. Lost and looking. He found a man who said he knew the way. Knew it and would show it to Guilford. For a time, it was perfect. It seemed so. This was a gifted man who saw far beyond the natural world, beyond, below, behind, before. His talents were real, and his knowledge considerable, but his sin was of wrong thinking. And so Guilford decided to end that relationship. And so this is a reference to Gustav Strobel. And we learned in Witchfinder that Guilford killed Strobel. And we see that flashback here. So followed a time for rest, a retreat from society and its distractions and temptations, a chance for reflection and meditation. 
Eventually and slowly, the world trickled back in, but the long detachment had fortified Guilford against its poisons. There was more to learn in this life, and not just more, the truth. That's what waited. The Western world was too finite and rigid in its philosophies, so Guilford embarked on a cruise. Then, at the boat of purity and ease in the garden of nurtured harmony in Beijing, there were whispers of a dream. Agartha. And so remember when Liz found Agartha in Hollow oh, Earth? Yeah. They said Agartha is a dream. That's what they told her. And there, finally, Guilford found the thing that he had been so long in search of. He found Memnon Sa. And we get a really good flashback. We get all these sepia-toned panels by Guy Davis and Dave Stewart where they draw all these flashbacks, and we get some really cool stuff here. That's just great, Abe says. Really fantastic stuff. Look, Guilford, if I have to call an airstrike to bomb the hell out of your little Shangri-La, I will. We're leaving with Liz. That right there is the end of your little story. And we see the monk. He's got those jade-carved frogs. He's got them on, a, on that gold platter, and he's putting them down behind them. Sorry, just to stop you in the middle of this, um, I I hopped on the phone, on the Google machine. I gave it a Googs on the my telephone machine here, and it seems like the Garden of Nurtured Harmony in Beijing is a real place. That's awesome. May or may not be a real place. I, I just Googled Garden of Nurtured Harmony Beijing, and it says that there's a place called the Summer Palace, a vast ensemble of lakes, gardens, and palaces in Beijing. It's an imperial garden in the Qing Dynasty, if that's how you pronounce that. Apparently, there's a translation of it where it's called the Garden of Preserving Harmony. And so it's looking at these pictures. I mean, that very well could be a depiction of what they're trying to... I don't know. I don't know if that's that's the same... I'm going to put that in my post for the week. Thanks for finding that. So, yeah, but there's like little pictures of like these giant sandhill cranes walking around these beautiful gardens. So that may or may not be related to that. I I mean, if it's in Beijing... It's the first thing that popped up, so it could very well be what that's based off of. But anyway. Memnon Sa says, Please stop talking about Martin Guilford. He's not here. He's not anywhere. People can be reborn, Agent Sapien. I think you know this. This page is so good. Yeah, I love that. And um, Their faces. I like it. You know, it's like, I don't know. His argument is... You're like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. like, why are you the bad guy? This like, I don't understand. This is my constant thing. No, this is my constant, the constant theme yeah. throughout this whole entire book reading journey is that I've always been like, actually, you have a point, and I'm on your side, kind of a thing. It's very weird. It's like, yeah, you have a point, but why do you got to be a dick about it? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's that, except- Le- what's that big Lebowski uh, meme? Oh shit. Uh-huh. Uh, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Or what does yeah, he say? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> All the other, you know, mystical anyone who does not align themselves with Nazis, the wizards and goddesses and weird old world beings and and stuff, they have kind of a point. Yeah. Sometimes where they're like, actually, this, and you go, oh, well, no, that makes sense. Right. And from your no, point of exactly. view, that makes perfect sense, and I'm and, kind of on your side. And like, it's like I don't want to like this character. No. Yeah. But he's like so compelling. So we cut back outside and we get this awesome one page of just everybody going at it here. This is where Yeti's pulling apart one of these proto-human guys and they have purple blood, I guess. I thought that was kind of an interesting detail. You want to switch it up after a while. Yeah. The colonel shoots frog monsters and asks Johan who the red punks are. And don't tell me they're Russians. (laughs) As far as we've been able to determine, there's some sort of subterranean remnants of a pre-human race that used to... (laughs) Actually, it's complicated. Uh... 
And just then, a were yeti saves them from an oncoming frog. I really like this whole beat. Yeah, because he's the uh, he's a monk were yeti, so he's kind of probably used to some of this yeah stuff. Yeah. And the were yeti says the frogs and the proto humans are not there for them. They come for my master Memnon Sa, and they have come better prepared than you. He points behind them. And we get a double splash of these giant robot monsters that we saw in the warning. Here they, they are look again. Like, uh, big weird bugs now. Yeah, they kind of look a little bit more evolved, and they have that kind of like Cothahem's the yeah, top of Cothahem yeah, had yeah. that thing at the Just top. Flipping tanks. Yeah, and the way you know we've talked about it so many times, and we'll talk about it more as we go on. But the scale, yeah, the way that Guy Davis is able oh, to do yeah. scale yeah, and. It's no wonder that they hired him to draw uh, yeah. giant monsters for Guillermo del Toro because, yeah. um, yeah. And somebody was asking me, did he do the ones for Pacific Rim too? And I don't know oh, if don't, he did. I, don't know I if need he was to look into that. that. Let us know if you know. Did you see part two? Yeah, I did see it. It was fine. The Yeti says for the Colonel to prepare his men for retreat, and he screams for the glory of my king, and he jumps into these um, all these frog monsters and he punches the jaw off of one of them i just really love all this it's really incredible and just all the the amount of guys that he has to draw fighting in the background and they're all doing stuff yeah like that's what's always really amazes me it's not just a bunch of faces like you can see everyone His is posed in a specific and... way really great art the, Back... this next page is so you know what i'm gonna say yeah <laughs> this... but it is it's such it's i so we it. saw those carved little frogs, and then we saw the monk bringing them. This has kind of been paced throughout, and now we see. So how do you describe this? He's like lining them up. He's in a, placing them in the air where they just float. They're just floating. In well, fashion. she's floating too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and they're floating around her. But he's just these panels of him. He's got the frog, and he's putting it, and he just ah oh, it's so well done yeah so well done if you could post that for people to see because that's so well done yeah it really is no do you think the the frogs are stationary or do you think they're rotating around i think her? they're rotating same here yeah, yeah. i can kind of see it you can kind of head. like and as the spaces pass he puts you, you another put, one yep, yep, yeah that's exactly oh, what i was thinking too. i really like that <laughs> wow yeah so that was a good description because i was like how am i going to describe this page <laughs> um, <laughs> we were just so excited about it we did it for you Kate says the monks from Agartha were all killed. And so this happened in Hollow Earth. Remember, they they found that giant hole. That was back when they still had Roger. What is this, she asks. And Memnon Sa says, that's right, Dr. Corrigan. You are the curious one. You want to understand. And now I would prefer you understand. I was born in Agartha, but I could not grow there. They saw the world as it is. They knew all the real things, but their ability to act was limited and I no longer was to be contained. There were moments when I was afraid. There is no shame in that. But the universe provided. Just enough to keep me alive. Just enough so that I might push on further. So that I might be brought to the brink of total enlightenment. I thought this was interesting, this panel where he's like, he's arguing, he's with, arguing them, with the monks. With yeah. the monks from Agartha. So they have the secret knowledge. Remember Because remember when we yeah. read Hollow Earth, you were like, how do they know this shit? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And so this is kind of, we've gone the long way around, yeah. but now it's kind <laughs> of explained it. And so I think that Guilford here is saying we should be using this yeah. to battle what's coming. They didn't like his and plan. And they're like, his, no. His plan yeah. involves, as we're going to see, his plan involves like making humongous, unthinkable sacrifices right. because it's inevitable and all this shit. And I guess they're... 
they're arguing with him because they're like, that's fucking, that's you're weird and dude. crazy. We're not yeah. going to do that. Right. You know, so that's, and so he they, he's cast out into the cold and the, you know, snowstorms and he can't survive and it's a whole thing. It's right. Very, yeah. And he's brought to the brink of death and he finds himself. And so we see that he's stranded out there in the snow. He's fallen to the ground and then he wakes up and he's in a cave and it's a where Yeti there with a fire. Where Yeti monk. And I, that another thing like that's, I wonder if that's just a survival mechanism too, because of, of where they yeah. are. Oh yeah. You know, that's something that. Like an evolutionary because it's cold. Just, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. So when you're when you're magic <laughs> and you're in the <laughs> a place where it's difficult to survive, like that's something that could. I don't know. That's a very. Ah, I'm always bringing up shamanism, but it's a. It is. It's right. a, It's a shamanistic <laughs> tool that. Anyway, I won't go into and it. And I really like that because he sees the were yeti and then he hears, don't try to run, and he turns around and it's a monk. He's just sitting very calmly. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of magical evolutionary yeah. creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a it's a shamanistic transformation yeah. that, well, yeah. we'd, we'll talk about that later. I could go, I could, that's a whole separate podcast. That's a completely different thing. He continues, 40 years I was on a quest, but it wasn't mine. It had always been theirs, the true followers of the way. And so they were looking for him yeah. while he was he's, looking for something. Yeah. But he's well, I, well, I was going to say go you didn't mention it. that um you, he was translating, he was speaking in Hyperborean. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this subterranean cuz the whole he went to the one above yeah. the ground and he, those monks were like, "Get out of here with that." And then he goes underground, mm-hmm. and he's forced to confront to, like you said, the point of death. That transformation. That I mean, this is the this is the archetype of the hero's journey. This is like right, but it's kind of flipped. Yeah, right? it's you know what I mean, which I love because as soon as he goes underground to find the flip side, the I guess quote unquote shadow side of the mm-hmm. top side. Yeah, these guys are like, yeah, we totally know all of that. We expected it, and you're our king. <laughs> so it's like a very it's just really interesting yeah. this is a fucking great story the spiritual yeah. children of hyperborea they had found their leader their guide the one who their fathers and great-grandfathers had promised would come the prophecy was real he will raise the old cities and make them new again and tame fire to breed dragons and so do you remember when we read lobster johnson last week they were all the prophecy yeah, yeah. and they said this yeah yep. they said this exact thing when they turned that guy into a demon dude i remembered dragon dude dragon dude memnon saw found in the darkness and brought to the flame Memnon saw, student of all and every truth, the vessel for deliverance, the shepherd of the chosen, the name of life. Cool. Yeah. So is that what Memnon saw means? I guess. The name of life? That's cool. That's really great. I dig this whole page, too, here where it's... Yeah. He's studying the scrolls in the library, and he's taking a weird Rachel Ghoul bath. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, I think it's like standard practice. You have to take yeah. a race cool bath if you're oh, going to yeah. be in the underground subterranean temple. Yeah. <laughs> and if then... you're an evil wizard in an ancient Hyperborean cult, you're going <laughs> right. to need one of those. And in this last panel, he's finally the version that we have seen Super all this time. So He's become a real boy. Yeah. <laughs> and see Thadadris, an old city made new. So that's the name of this city that's inside this wall. I'm sorry, his wizard aesthetic is so on point. I just love everything. Yeah, about it's it. really nice. Anyway, tame fire. God, he's done that too. Kate says, 
yeah, okay, but dragons? Uh, Devon questions? You know, we're about to get dragons. The, the frog starts glowing. One yeah. Of the frogs. Those hovering carved frogs starts to glow. Aubrey, I'm so excited. And the robot... <laughs> 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 the robot Ooh. monsters and frogs still attack outside, and the Colonel and Johan. Yeah, like, it, like it's just nothing. Right. The Colonel and Johan and the monks stand on the wall around Thadadri's, firing down on the monsters. The Colonel says he doesn't like how they are now fighting for Memnon Saw. Why didn't they just dig up into the Forbidden City? And the monk says there's impenetrable bedrock under the city. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. And a nice detail because you might think, like, oh, yeah, why didn't they just come up under the wall, right? Well, and also, like, normally we think of bedrock of, yeah, that's that's impenetrable. You know, we can't get through that except with very special tools. And even then, that's at the brink of our technology to get. But in this case, I don't know why this is headcanon for me they have a some sort of a weird magical foundation or some shit right oh, yeah. i don't know yeah. oh no it, they would totally have that <laughs> great so my men can die here defending the enemy is that what's going to happen the colonel asks johan and johan's like how could i have known this would happen <laughs> and what do you care the colonel says when it's all over your ghost just flits on over to your spare containment suit and off you friggin' go. One of the soldiers mentioned the shoulder-mounted M72 rocket launchers aren't even leaving scorch marks. The colonel says that in Munich, it took a few dozen Hawk Sams, or surface-to-air missiles, to take them out. Sorry, son, but we are good and truly fucked here. And the robots start to approach the wall. They don't even seem like robots to me anymore. It just they, seems they're like just, a monster. Yeah, they're just the monster. Yeah. The monster has evolved. I mean, the robots evolved into this monster it's shape. Like an and, organic. Yeah. 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 It's almost like the robot is probably like a skeleton inside of it. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. Even, or yeah. even been magically replaced with, mm, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like an organic mm-hmm. being, which is so yeah. weird how they, they kind of conjured that into reality. The panels that we get down here at the bottom of the page with Liz again, with the frogs that are floating and rotating around her and that the monk put there, that she's, they're glowing now. Right, and yeah. She, it's just, ah, oh, it's so cool. The buildup is so cool. And yeah, and before we go any further, I just want to say real quick, I really have enjoyed this cutting back and forth between this chaotic outside thing and then this very like i imagine like on the inside all you hear is the sound of that giant flame like you just hear like the fire crackling and there's not really a and then outside it's like this yeah screaming yeah if it was an animated series you would also have a very low like a little magic sound (laughs) right the glowing frogs start to glow and it's this little shiny magic sound but i just i've really enjoyed cutting back and forth between these two scenes this entire time is really nice and the pacing is so well done on that yeah whoever's responsible for the uh you know the storyboarding storyboarding. yeah the layout exactly and as the frogs continue to glow outside one of the frogs out there in the battle reacts boy dave stewart had a fun time with that one i know starts i just (laughs) it's just so weird it's just like Okay, so we got it. You know, the frogs are going to start glowing. This other thing is going to happen. How do we get from A to B? You know, let's get his frog tongue to start growing real <laughs> yeah. big, and then it'll turn into the thing. Yeah, so his tongue starts getting really big. It, it's lighting up. It's glowing. And then we see all the frogs are looking at this bright light. Johan and the colonel are looking at this light. Damn, what the fuck is that? The colonel <laughs> says. And we see these crazy <laughs> giant gold dragons. Like the ones that we saw in the stars. 
Yes. Mm. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And he's got a big ronk up here at the top. Yeah, he does. (laughs) And so you see, like, the frog bodies kind of left desiccated down below where the dragon has popped out. And it's happening to another one over here. Yeah. 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 A bunch of them are going off. So at least three right now. Yeah. And so, again, the scale, too. I really love yeah. the scale of this thing. You can see how big it is relative to all these frog monsters that it's crushing. <laughs> it's such a really cool design, too. It just, yeah, it's, really it's wonderful to look at. Let's uh, talk about this cover from Kevin Nolan for Chapter 4. I love his version of the frog monsters. Oh, yeah. um, I think that's oh, kind yeah. of a different take of what uh, yeah. we've seen. They're a little bit more amphibian looking. Yeah. And I like how he has this glowing frog, the little carved one, like on top. You know, Skeleton Crew did a, a small run of these. They oh, totally the Jade sold frogs? out. Oh, yeah, no, they did. Tell me that's so and cool. they're totally sold out. And Jeez. the and the guy said that they'll probably would never do it again because he said it was so difficult. Yeah, to get them um, to sure. get them perfect. And yeah. he oh, said man. they messed up. Probably oh, I'm sure more. they broke so much jade. Well, they had to burn it right or something. It had to be burned Jeez. correctly to give it the right look. And yeah. he said they went through. It probably cost them. Them more to make it than what they got from actually selling but them. But that's Damn. that's the cool, yeah, that's so cool that they yeah. were willing to go through all oh, that because just they to make it all handmade. Make yeah. this real, like they that make is like the way it is sure. on here. Yeah, awesome, so cool. Shout out to Israel Skelton and the Skelton crew. There you go. Thank you. Chapter four. We open on Johan. He's walking within the city of Thadadries, and he talks to himself. What are you doing? Right. What are you doing here? Why do I feel guilty? He asks. They have no use for me. The colonel behaved as if I were in the way. My mission, after all, was never to wage combat. It was to find Liz, and that has been every bit as difficult as any battle. His mission was to stay where the fuck he was. Right. And he's justifying this to himself. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, the colonels and the others are better off without me. I'm gonna... They've got, they've got it handled. Right. You dick, abandoning your post and shit. He says, they have reinforcements now. This... Fucking page. Yeah. This double splash page is incredible. These dragons are so cool. Yeah. I just want to point out, there's that uh that weird skink-looking one yeah. in the background that we saw in The Warning, and Sarah Cole had posted a picture of that one and just said, I'm sorry, and it was going, because it was really funny. It made uh, me laugh so hard, <laughs> like irrationally. But it does look like it's kind of laughing like that anyway. It does. <laughs> It does. Yeah, but this this is amazing here, this page. So good. I mean, and we just have more as we cut over to it. It breathes fire on this horde of frog monsters and proto-humans. And I really like that there's something about the animation of it breathing the fire, too, yeah. that just gives yeah. it a lot of force. It's just very... And we see that other one, the other monster that we also saw in Hollow Earth that you like the design of. We see like there, one of them is out there, too. Mm-hmm. Super good. Yeah, so I mean, what else can you say? It's just awesome action. The even the layout of the page itself, like yeah. the um the composition of it is so good. Yeah. As they're all firing down, the colonel says, God damn it, where the hell did that German gas bag go? <laughs> Back with Memnon Sa, he sits outside the temple where Liz is. There's like this little garden. And this work is just amazing by really Guy Davis incredible. and Dave Stewart. I just it's a very beautiful panel. There's like a, it's um there's this silent moment 
and he's like sitting there and then he just puts his finger up like he i guess he feels that kate is walking up behind him or something just that little yeah moment is very good and he's taking his hat off <laughs> well it's got to be bulky yeah you know, oh yeah right wear it all that's day good long. for the good for the entrance the impressive entrance and then you know i mean <laughs> gotta put a strain on your neck yeah <laughs> i am who i say i am doctor he says to kate i'm sure of that she says and truly, if any of this world is to survive, I will be the reason. That one I don't know about, Kate says. But then, why is it important that I believe you? You can kill us pretty easily, right? You are important to Miss Sherman, that is very clear, Memnon Saw says. And she is important. She is important to everybody. And I have not handled her so well as I should. Had I, abduction would have been unnecessary. I was focused too much, it seems, on the larger picture. If you supported her efforts... She would sense that too. Okay, well, what about the larger picture? Kate asks. Always inquiring, Doctor. But then, that is why history is your vocation. And so, certainly, you will know the myth of the Titan who stole fire from the gods. This is the way of our world began, at the end of a Titan's fingers. The first men knew about this, the Golden People. A grand race that feared few things, feared that stolen fire for 10,000 years. Feared it and were obsessed with it. Why else would King Thoth have held its secret so close, in his own private garden, in the minds of three fallen titans, watchers, he called them, angels? So, I mean, again... We get again, another depiction of this. Yeah, now. this time from Guy Davis. From Guy Davis. And remember that we learned in the epilogue for Darkness Calls that he had those three watchers in the garden with him also. Mm -hmm. And so I just like that... I was thinking about this today. You know, if you were just reading... Hellboy, and we had got up to Darkness Calls, like, think about that. Or if you were just reading BPRD and you had just read up to here, like, you would have a good story, but it wouldn't be as enriched and yeah. all these things yeah. that you get yeah. from reading everything else. You know what I mean? Like, you would still kind of understand things, but I don't know. It's you, like it's it's like each one's a different part of the story, and, like, we're getting the full whole story. You know? Right. A lot of times when there are, like, these mega crossovers and they have this all these ancillary books, sometimes they don't really have substance to them. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like I've gotten burned a couple times on trying to collect some of the, some of the yeah. follow, you oh, know yeah. what I'm talking Same about? Yeah, yeah, because it's just like, it's not really anything and it doesn't give you anything really new or all that special. But yeah. the way that this is done is just very, um, it's been very satisfying. He continues, but the key to the power these Watchers had was not thoughts to hoard. This is what Hekka Emin-Ra believed. This knowledge could be owned by men, and so it should. She slew those angels, and in the blood painted their secrets of the universe on the walls of Thoth's temple, there for any to see, to learn, and to conjure with. What followed should have been a true Hyperborean Golden Age, the age of awareness and ability. But the kings and priests, most of them were not ready for this sort of agency. Corruption born of their incompetence lay Hyperborea to waste. One priest, at least, was worthy of the Vril power and other arcana, but without a nation, they had little value to him. Rather than have this knowledge die, he chose a few of the new race of men to edify. He hoped these lesser men could make a paradise of their coming world with his teachings. If not for their lesser faith, they might have. Fearing what Vril might accomplish under the inclinations of an unenlightened soul, they designed for their secrets to die with them. 
And so we see Shan Chen here, and he's holding that relic that Liz used in the Black yeah. Flame. And not to linger too long, but if you cut back even further, we get more of those Guy Davis depictions of yeah, Hecka Evan yeah. Ra oh, addressing yeah. everybody and all that stuff is just really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mike yeah. original um, depiction of it. Yeah, it's really good. And then I, I'm also curious, like when he's talking about Vril Power and other Arcana. I oh know yeah, what the fuck he's talking about? What is this other Arcana? Yeah people have i've read threads where people have like they need to do shanshin like they need to do for sure we and need so, a five yeah. we need a five issue shanshin oh yeah these i mean these last... let's see him fight that monster from what was that story where roger found the little thing oh yeah remember oh, and um, born again okay these last few panels here on this page where um you know passing this shamanistic tradition to oh, yeah. this guy is just very it's yeah super good all this is just wrapping up and explaining more of what we've seen throughout these series back with johan he approaches a golden tower abraham said to wait two hours before coming after him and it's been longer than that not that i'm prepared to mount an effective attack still i strongly feel that this is what i should be doing very very strongly i feel so i want to talk about this a little bit later but I just wanted to linger on that a little bit. I was say, while we're on this panel real quick, and I noticed it when we first uh, saw the Golden Temple, but I forgot to say something. I like how it looks like the light is irradiating out oh, from yeah. the temple. It does. And it makes me wonder, because the whole city is like lush and green, and everything oh. inside is frozen. So maybe the power is coming from yeah, absolutely. the temple. It's like a sun. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It's like yeah. a sun for this city. I really like that. Good detail. Just then, a monk approaches, and he tells Johan to halt. Back outside... We get one single page of this robot monster, and he's about to punch the wall surrounding Thadadri's. Just really cool. I mean, what else can you say? It punches the wall, and a bunch of the soldiers and monks fall down to be attacked and killed by the frogs. Horrible. The monster goes to get the rest of the men and is torched by one of these dragons. And so, I mean, that's a very quick explanation of it, but it's the like scale. three pages long. Yeah. The scale of this, like, it, oh, it's just... The, uh. Kind of makes me think of the intensity in the the Battle of Helm Deep and uh, Two Towers. Yeah, sure. You the know, perspective, just that craziness of on it on the art, though, like the the sheer ability. Right, like and you know, we always talk about how cinematic this it, this yeah. comic feels. It like cuts to this. There's this long flashback with Memnon Sal. We get this little beat with Johan, and then we would have the special effects yeah. shot. Yeah. You know, cutting back outside, we would have this big. You know, three... cutting between the A and B plot. Right. And all yeah. Of that. Yeah. Back inside the temple, Abe looks at Liz with the hovering jade frogs around her. So you're saying that Liz is like one of those priests? Kate asks. No, Dr. Corrigan, that was not the analogy I was drawing. And there's a beat, and Devon's like. Oh, I get it. Your thought, and this is your little secret garden for your angel. Son of a, I was right. He is in love with her. Your Miss Sherman, Memnon says, she is the return of the power and promise of Vril to man. Heka Emin Ra, right at the moment that we are in most need of her. And Kate says, okay, so if I buy all that, what you say is Liz, I mean, then why you? Why are you the savior? Why not Liz and us? You don't buy it, do you, Dr. Corrigan, he says. Answer enough to your question. But that larger picture, let me complete it for you. Soon after I came to my people, I was conducted to their wisest sage. It was hoped that he would bring me to my ultimate revelation, a hope fully realized. 
and this guy, this monk, he opens this little, there's like a little cabinet with a curtain and he opens the curtain and there's this carved skull in there and he just stares at it. I love this. It's like so cool. Yeah. And he says, there in that moment, the future unfolded before me. The prophecy of my destiny was only the beginning. The twin serpents, Nimungala, spoke clearly and forcefully to me about how this would come to pass. That kind of looks like the amulet that it's the twin serpent. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. They told me that I would not be the first to harness real energy, and I was not. But it was mine to take from that man, and so I had it, if only for a moment. And so obviously this is referring to... The story we just read. Yeah, yeah. the Iron Prometheus. I didn't say that's a... Uh... That's a cool suit. (laughs) Yeah, I like that suit. They stretched out the century before me like the instruments on a surgeon's table. And we get this flashback. We see Dr. Galarraga's brain. We see Rasputin and Saduhem. And we also see Hitler and man landing on the moon. Most likely uh, Armstrong, right? Yeah. And they allowed me my first glimpse of the price of failure. And we see a quick cut to all those apocalyptic visions that he's been showing Liz. A failure their disclosures ensured would be impossible at my hands. Then why not ally yourself with us, Kate asked. Doesn't that make sense? It would to you. You need me. But I've no need of you, Memnon Saw says. Really, Devon asked, because it seems as if there's only you, and I don't know, 20, 30 monks? And there's this moment with the snakes. I don't know how do you describe this, like all the snakes crawl back onto him or something yeah Yeah. it's like putting your jacket back on right snakes (laughs) and he turns to him and he says i have heka emin ra and you you're not cruel enough to succeed your bureau your governments will try to save all this earth that is childish the war has already begun and you believe you've had your victories you will believe that again while the truth is little by little you are losing and we get another awesome cut away and i like that some of the frogs have crawling onto the backs of the dragon or whatever (laughs) and you see these ones are flying off and stuff like that it's just so cool and this is the colonel i think here right right so there is only one question a question you will never be able to answer how much are you willing to lose to win and we see what the fuck that monk that had told johan to halt has been found dead and johan's holding this knife yeah. It's like he severed it's like he half severed his neck. Oh yeah. It's Holy shit. Fucking gruesome. Horrible. Horrible. Don't want to look at any of that. And Johan runs towards the golden tower. Chapter five. We pick up with Johan and he says to himself, I didn't know that I could do that. That it would be so easy, so quiet. The things inside a man. Yeah. Well, no need for stealth anymore. And he drops the knife and he draws his gun. Why is he murdering monks? <laughs> I think we'll find out. Yeah, I want to come back to that point. Back with Kate and the team, Abe asks, what were you talking about in there for so long? Kate responds, oh, he just wanted to tell me about the hands of fate that brought him here. Oh, and how stupid we all are. That too. It all sounded pretty crazy. But then the guy's 170 years old, has mastered telekinesis, and who knows what else. Abe says he thinks shooting Guilford might snap Liz out of her spell, but it's way too dangerous to try. Kate asks why he's still talking like this. Abe says, should they just do nothing? They have no time to strategize. He thinks Memnon Sa is drawing Liz's power like a battery. He says, we need leverage. And I say, we take a page from the bastard's playbook. And he draws his gun 
to try and take a monk hostage and you're just like abe like abe, what the fuck no, are you doing he's don't. like he's like hey guilford you're not the only one who can take hostages but the evil wizard just got done explaining yeah. that he thinks people are super expendable and he doesn't care how many of them have to die so it's like what are you doing dude and he says are you sure this is what you want skip the threats abe says sure you can toss me around with a gesture but probably not before i get a shot off let's talk now and Memnon Sa says, you're right, it wouldn't be difficult for me to wave you off, but... The, and then the monk starts talking. But why should he? Use a weapon to negotiate. You're not worthy of his attentions. Let me show you what a gun is good for. And so is this the monk doing this, or Memnon Sa? I guess it's the monk. Right. I thought it was the monk, but... I think it's the monk, because yeah. then Kate's like, what are you doing to him? And then he He's goes, a... I have nothing to do with it. Right, yeah. And so the monk makes Abe shoot him, blow his head off. This is so, this was such a fuck. When I first read yeah. this he the first monk. time, I was like, you know, I was, certain beats stand out to you. And I was like, oh, the black goddess, that's the one with Liz and the golden dragons. And the monk makes Abe shoot him in the head. Like, cause that's one of the <laughs> only things that I really remember. It's horrible. just like such a horrible, horrible. scene. And anyway, it's a crazy moment. I'm surprised we didn't get more scenes with the labyrinth in it. Yeah, like where they're, as they're traveling there. through that thing. It just thing. seems to be like a, a, like a, like a slight a, inconvenience that you have to run through and then that's it. It's an overly decorated hallway. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was about to I say, mean, I was like, isn't there usually... Or it like, might just be... Well, I think it's trying there. to convey one that you it's hard to get in. Sure. And it might also be like a weird thing with time. Like sure. Maybe no, time sure. is different. Or for sure, I just mean... If you go the right way, it's only you only go yeah. through it for... I, I guess I just mean... I know that there's no time for it in this very well-paced and excellently told story. But usually when there's a labyrinth, we there's yep. time taken out, a little bit of time taken to like, like, oh, we're in the labyrinth now and there's magic things in the labyrinth. But I guess it didn't really drive the story. So yes, I can I, see why you wouldn't include it. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's just a little bit like, what if maybe, hey, if you're listening and you can draw, just draw a little... A uh, little page of what it was like in the labyrinth. Let's what, get the five issue they come up labyrinth against? story mini mini series. Just draw that for me real quick. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks. I mean, we, we like Johan even went through it uh, with no with no problem at all. There you all go. Right. Yeah. You're and right. The other guys had a guide. He just like oh, I'm walking this way. But Johan, he might have been able to track where they went or mm. something. I don't know. He he does have those kind of powers anyway these dragons are chowing down over here They're yeah just like chomping on this this guy's leg and yeah like, they've done a pretty good job taking out these robot monsters like a little ronk that we get <laughs> and these monks that are shooting at them say that they're near the end of the swarm so yeah the, all that is wrapping up outside back with memnon sa and the team kate calls him a fucking bastard it doesn't matter to you does it human life is nothing to you memnon sa says a war is being fought him and his men accept the cost. And then, just then, Johan barges in. Get back, Kate. I will handle this monster. And Kate's like, no, he's too much for you. The toy man just had to come in for a look, eh? Memnon Sa says as he waves his hand and it sends Johan flying back. He falls and it cracks the bubble head of his suit and the ectoplasm starts flowing out. Memnon Sa approaches Liz and apologizes. I wanted them to understand. For your sake, I tried. And this little flame, like, appears in Memnon Sa's hand as he's staying in front of Liz. And he looks at the team and he goes, ah, look. 
she forgives me. This is such a weird moment. Yeah. I, I loved it. It was great, but it was just such a very weird moment. And he says, there will be no rescue. She has made her decision. Now Elizabeth understands the challenge. Her fear is gone. I feel it. And behind Memnon Sa, we see over these panels. The, the ectoplasm is turned into Lobster Johnson. It's lobster Johnson. And he's approaching <laughs> Memnon Sa, drawing his gun. And it's paced so well. And we turn the page and Memnon Sa just throws the fire. The fire that he got from Liz at Lobster Johnson. It lights him up and it sends him flying outside through the wall of the temple. Memnon Sa holds up his flaming fist. You didn't believe me, but you do now. She gives it to me. As much as I want for whatever I want. He's talking about the Vril fire. Yeah. Now you will go. You came for your friend. And I have let you see her. Be thankful for that and go. Go fight your little battle. Leave the war to us. And Abe's like, fuck off. We're not finished with you yet. No, of course not, he says. I would change water into wine. It wouldn't be enough for you. And he kind of raises Abe up into the air. Meanwhile, something here is happening on Liz's face. Oh, right. So um, over these three panels, yeah. thank you for pointing out that detail. A little light starts to glow in her forehead. Yeah. I could part the seas. Your assassins would still come for me, Memnon Sa says, as he pushes Abe up against a pillar. God damn it, you're a dead man, Kate says, drawing her gun. Wait your turn, doctor. And Memnon Sa waves her away as well. And then suddenly one of the little jade frogs like explodes, explodes in the fire. And here Memnon Sa actually looks scared when that happens. It's the first time that you ever really see him yeah. show any kind of yeah. expression at all. Outside the dragons are burning up all the frogs. And inside we also see that these jade frogs are lighting up one by one. They're kind of shattering and lighting on fire. And they just continue to, all the all the ones around her continue to, now we see that she has a circle on her forehead to that light. And Memnon Sa looks terrified. Outside, the tower starts to glow, and Liz speaks in that ancient language. It's a cool panel. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. Well, the next page, this splash page, is wild. Elizabeth, no, you can't, Memnon Sa screams out as he erupts into flame. And she's like, she's full on... Right. Dark Phoenix over here. It's great. Yes. <laughs> She's totally overtaken, kind of like we saw at the end of the Black Flame when she was able to... Yeah. She And at that time, she needed the yeah. idol to right. kind of channel it, but here she can just do Raise it. Raise her right? hands all cool. She's got the monk garb, too, which is a nice touch. Yeah. And the third eye is so yeah. awesome. <laughs> Not to me. And Memnon Sa's ignited. Explodes into bones. And he is reduced to bones. The, his remains shatter on the ground. Wow. So, I mean, this guy has been, yeah, that's hey, a well, pretty. I mean, when you're an evil wizard. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Kate catches Liz and calls to her. Kate, where am I? Liz says. Liz, you're back. Kate says, you're back. Liz asks how long she's been gone. Things happened, I know, she says, like dreams. Dreams I can't really remember. She doesn't remember burning Memnon Sa. And she worries about Abe being hurt. There's a moment where she's like, oh no, Abe. Kate says they've got to move. I like how that she seemed to be kind of like okay with like uh, Memnon Sa's plan. And she even gave him that fire. As soon as he attacked Abe and then attacked Kate, that's when all the frogs started smashing yeah. the fire. So it's just like, you know, she's like, wait a second, you know, you can't fuck with my friends. Right, yeah. yeah. Kate says they've got to move and try and find the colonel. Liz says, okay, you'll tell me that later. 
But right now, who the hell is that? <laughs> and at the temple entrance it's is Lobster, Lobster Johnson. Johnson, and he's still somewhat on fire. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was really interesting, and um, what a weird way to leave that cliffhanger there. I was going to say, this is like the biggest cliffhanger ending we've ever had. <laughs> yeah. I was just like turning the page, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we are actually going to take a little bit of a break from BPRD. I know we're oh, no. really ramping up near the end, but we're going to go back to Hellboy for next week and we kind of talked about this a little bit the wild hunt is an eight issue story and to cover all eight issues in one episode we usually don't do that many issues in one episode so i think we're gonna split we're gonna it, break up and, it up we're gonna split it up into two so next week we're gonna read the wild hunt part one which is gonna be issues one through four so we're we're just gonna read up to there for next week and then the week after we'll read the five through eight so anyway, um, what did you guys think of this story? Yeah, super good. Oh, it was great. And it's like you've been saying, it's like all these threads that have been building up through the whole yeah. series. Are, it It's not like they're coming together, but I mean, they are. But it's more like it's just like we're getting more detail and more information and just falling deeper into yeah. the world. It's just all my favorite shit yeah. in a story. It's just like all my favorite stuff. Really nice. Love yeah. It. And this was such an epic one. I felt like this was the big... Um, the, you know, like on Game of Thrones, the penultimate episode is like the fucking crazy Thrones. one or whatever, yeah. something like that. Like, you know, near the end of the season, they start doing all this crazy <laughs> shit. And that's kind of like what we're getting yeah. here. So it's been really nice. Um, and what a crazy ending to this whole Memnon Saw really thing, you know. Good art, good story. Yeah. Good stuff. Love it. Do your homework and read the story. <laughs> you read the books and then... You'd say, you tell us about what you heard on this episode that we just did, and then you're, we're going to talk about the next book. So next time, see you next time. And Guilford lasted a long time. He lasted way longer than Rasputin or uh, hmm, interesting. that one other dude who... Um, Jurescu. Jurescu, yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been a big baddie for the BPRD for a while now. We even saw him that Lobster Johnson, and we saw him also in Witchfinder. So, yeah. yeah, lots of lots of Guilford stuff. But anyway, all right, great episode. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Share with us your thoughts on The Black Goddess. Send us your damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find our, find us on Discord. The link is on Facebook. And be sure to check out our friends at mignolaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are going to be talking The Wild Hunt, chapters one through four. So pull out your back issues, pull out your trades, pull out your omnibuses, go to your library, go to your friend's house and borrow their issues, <laughs> yeah. and you know, join us next time on the Hellboy Book Club. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, feel the burning sting of justice. <laughs> <laughs>